Let's begin with some prayer. Father, I thank you for the things that we've just been reminded of in our singing. Sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer. Thy wings shall my petition bear. To him whose truth and faithfulness engage the waiting soul to bless. And since he bids me seek his face, believe his word, and trust his grace, I'll cast on him my every care and wait for the sweet hour of prayer. God, I thank you that there's going to be a day when prayer is something we never have to do again. I look forward to the day when the robe of flesh will drop and will rise. And as we're passing through the air, bid farewell, sweet hour of prayer. In the meantime, God, we have to know how to do this. We have to know. Your word tells us that you, that you call us to this. So God, may we be thirsty to know, just like the disciples, Lord, today, teach us to pray. Teach us what it means to call on you that you would be glorified in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. We are uh, we're starting our fourth week on being together. And we have established that just being together, just gathering together at all is very fundamental. We must do this. And from that basic building block, we've seen that our gathering must revolve, must revolve around the ministry of the Word. The proclamation of the gospel is the engine that moves the machinery of the church. We can polish the chrome, we can modify the exhaust, we can add running boards, and we can give the whole thing a six-inch lift. But if there's no engine, there's no go. If there's no gospel, there's no church. We can modify programs. We can fill church positions with popular people and have gatherings that revolve around entertainment and busy work. But if there's no gospel, there's no church. In a very similar vein... If our subject today, which is prayer, be rightly exercised, it must be built on the understanding and message of the gospel. I'm going to...
quote Tozer several times today, so bear with me as I read. He says, sometimes I go to God and say, God, if thou dost never answer another prayer while I live on this earth, I will still worship thee as long as I live and in the ages to come for what thou hast already done. God's already put me so far in debt that if I were to live one million millenniums, I couldn't pay him back for what he's done. Prayer must revolve around the cross. Even if we never get another answer to our prayer, God is still worthy of worship because of what has been accomplished for us in Christ. Now, prayer is a very popular subject. And generally, the more popular something is in Christian circles, the further we actually get away from what it means biblically. Christianbook.com, one of my favorite websites, has about 500 books on sovereignty. 500. That seems like a lot, right? We have that they have 600 hits, 600 resources on ecclesiology. So 100 more than sovereignty. We have 100 more resources on on church government. We have. Sorry, Christian book has about 400 hits on the atonement. You know, the, the cardinal doctrine of, you know, Christianity. We only have 400 resources on that. But we have over 5,000 resources on prayer on christianbook.com. We have books on uh, prayers for prodigals, prayers for men, one-minute prayers for wives, one-minute prayers for moms, one-minute prayers for hunters. Really? Because you just don't have enough time sitting in the tree stand. for Anyway, prayers for... Uh, the, the, you got the prayer of Jabez, the Daniel prayer, prayers of the presidents, kingdom prayer, pocket prayers, how to pray when you need a miracle, classic prayers on every need, prayers to start your day. You can even learn, get this, you can even learn how to pray circles around your marriage. Not squares, ovals, or rectangles, folks. Circles. And all this is yours. All of this is yours. In 42 days to a more powerful prayer life. Not 41. Because if you go 41, you have missed it. And if you go 43, you're too spiritual. 42. 42. You can enjoy reading all of these titles from the comfort. No kidding. There's a book called The Prayer Spa. And while you're at The Prayer Spa, you can put up... Your prayer coffee mug on your prayer coaster. And when you're all done at the prayer spa and step outside, don't forget your prayer ball cap and your prayer sunglasses. I'm not making this stuff up. There are actually prayer sunglasses. If I ever see you wearing prayer sunglasses. When you get home, you can wrap up in your prayer shawl. Cover yourself with your prayer blanket. And there are at least 43 different prayer blanket designs on Pinterest. You can even sleep on your own prayer pillow. And if you've been monkeying around or are feeling just a bit batty, 
There's even a prayer or there's even a book called Praying Upside Down. I saw one book and I, I, I it was like four or five pages of these. I didn't go through all 5,000 resources, but there was one book that made more sense than all the rest. It was a children's book for three to six year olds called What is Prayer? Which I'm good with. Why is it that I like children's books and children's dictionaries? I just get a lot from them. Anyway, so, so it went like this. Have you ever thought to yourself, what does it mean to pray? As you close your eyes, fold your hands and think of what to say. Prayer is when you talk to God just as you would a friend. Prayer is a conversation that never has to end. Don't worry about the words you choose. Just pick the ones you know. Every time you pray to God, your trust in Him will grow. Guys, let's not overcomplicate the subject. Prayer is the privilege of the people of God. It must be a part of our gathering. And, uh, but in one sense, prayer is very private. Matthew 6, Jesus says, but when you pray, go into uh, your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And of course, he's talking in Matthew 6 about the problem with just praying in public and doing it for a show. So in one sense, it's very, very private. And then in another sense, it's very deeply conversational. So you've got your Bibles open to Acts chapter 1. Notice verse 14. And then we're going to be doing some page flipping here. So bear with me. Verse, chapter 1, verse 14 of Acts. All these, all these, not just one or two, all of these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer. Together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. So here in Acts 1, you've got... Uh, Jesus ascending and uh, they're, they're short one to make the twelve. So they get Matthias and then uh, they were promised the, the spirit would, would empower them in, in chapter one, verse eight. And so what are they praying about? I'm guessing two things. One, they're probably praying over the leadership of the church at that point with the addition of Matthias. And I think they were probably praying for the, the power of the Holy Spirit because that was coming. Flip over a page to chapter 2, verse 42. So Peter preaches at Pentecost, 5,000 converts. And what's their modus operandi? How, how, what, what is their function? Chapter 2, verse 42. They, that is the, the whole church, not just a few, not just one. They, the whole group, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's exactly what Rod talked about last week. The ministry of the word, expositional preaching. And the fellowship. It, it, it wasn't just like 5,000 converts and, hey y'all, see you in heaven. I'm on my own. That's, that's not how they functioned. That's not how the church functioned in the first century. So they, de- they devoted themselves, not just the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship 
to the breaking of bread. They practiced the ordinances, which we're going to get to. And the prayers. They devoted themselves to prayer. They devoted themselves together to pray. Flip over another page or two to chapter 4, verse 24. Peter and John have been in prison and they've, they've stood before the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin kind of slapped their hand and said, don't talk about Jesus anymore. Ha! Not going to happen. And when they, verse 24, they, the church, heard it, they, the church, lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And by the way, they continue praying and they pray for boldness. Not, well, we better listen to the Sanhedrin. Like, make us more bold. In addition to all these, we have examples of prayers for healing in chapter 9 and chapter 28. And we have public prayers from missionaries and elders in chapter 6 and chapter 20. Which leads to this. Why was the early church so jazzed about prayer? Because they were jazzed about Jesus. They were jazzed about Jesus because He was alive from the dead. Stop and think about this. They were excited about prayer because they were excited about Jesus and they're excited about Jesus because Jesus was alive from the dead. Has anything changed? One thing's changed. It's kind of frightening. We're not really that jazzed about prayer. But Jesus is still alive from the dead. Yet, more fundamental than even the early church's example was the example of Christ Himself. So if you want, you can go to Luke chapter 5 with me. And we'll flip through a couple of passages in Luke here. Looking at Christ's example. Luke chapter 5 verse 16. Luke records this, but he, that is Jesus, would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Flip over the next page to chapter 6, in the, uh, verse 12. In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. I mean, stop and think about this. We've read this before. I mean, if you spend any time reading the Gospels, you get that Jesus prayed. And just stop and think about that for a second. Jesus prayed. That should be shocking to us. Of all the people that we think really didn't need to spend time in prayer, it was, you know, the Son of God. And yet here he is spending, he's, he's reneging on a whole night's sleep just to spend time, just to be in fellowship with the Father. Well, this example of his created a thirst in the apostles. They wanted to know how to pray. Flip over to chapter 11, verse 1. And he's setting this precedent to, to just spend time, quantitative, large amounts of time in prayer. Chapter 11, verse 1. 
Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. As John taught his disciples. It wasn't like, I mean, an American Christian goes to Jesus and says, Lord, teach me to pray. I want to know how to pray better. But the disciples, just one disciple here, responds with, teach us how to pray. It's not just an individual thing to do. It is a corporate thing to do. So this question of the disciple leads to Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer. And we're going to look at that here in just a little bit. But it is clear that when, from what we've read in the book of Acts so far, they learned this lesson. They definitely grasped what Jesus was teaching. So it must be noted here that in order for us to address corporate prayer, which is really what this is about, this whole, this, this series of messages on being together, um, this has to do with what we do corporately, but to, to address corporate prayer, we need to learn the fundamentals of private prayer. In other words, a healthy private prayer life leads to a healthy public prayer life. So I'm going to try really hard not to overcomplicate this subject. Um, We're going to make the outline very simple because of the example that's given to us in Christ and the apostles. So we're not going to entangle it with praying upside down at the prayer spa. Three reasons for why we pray and three resources on how to pray. And then we'll be done. First, why do we pray? Number one, prayer is required. It's required. Now, what I don't mean is that prayer is required on the sole basis of tradition. We pray because that's just what we do. Or... Prayer right here at this point in the service, right before the offering. You gotta pray before the offering. Or you gotta pray before the sermon. Or you gotta pray after the sermon. That's just the way we've always done it. Or the thought that prayer is like, how many of you listen to talk radio? Don't be ashamed, okay? You know what bumper music is? Bumper music? you don't know what, who knows what bumper music is? Yeah, it's just like, okay, you, they finish the segment and we gotta to go to a commercial. Bum, bum, da, 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 you know, Rush Limbaugh, you guys, okay. Yeah, he's, he's bumpering out, he's going from segment to commercial and he can't just have like the silence on the air, we gotta fill the space. But prayer isn't that either, it's not bumper music. These are not sufficient reasons. We're not advocating here at our church an empty religion with empty religious practices where asking why is forbidden. But understand this, prayer is commanded. I'll give you a few of these. You don't have to turn to them. You can if you want. But 
I'm just going to rifle through these really quickly. Matthew 5, 44, Jesus says, pray for those who persecute you. Matthew 6, verse 9, pray then like this, our Father in heaven. Matthew 9, 38, therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. Mark 14, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Luke 18, he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Uh, Acts 8.22 to Simon the sorcerer from Peter. Repent therefore of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 Pray without ceasing. Prayer is commanded. And this reason stands in one way above all the other reasons that we're going to give you today. If God commands it, then the reasons for the command go above and beyond my understanding, which is very limited. In God's wisdom, He has commanded our communicating to Him through prayer. Not emails, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Just prayer. By the way, if you've got a prayer app that prays for you, no. Sorry, your tell yourself your smartphone cannot pray for you. Okay, I don't understand the science of radio waves. I don't get it. I don't understand electric motors. I don't understand how a chunk of rock causes a watch to work. Yeah, you put this quartz crystal in your watch and it vibrates off the battery and I I don't get it. I don't understand. But that does not mean that my lack of understanding keeps me from using that technology. If God commands his people to pray, then do it. The end. Which, by the way, was Rod's funniest line last week. Just go to church. The end. It's not the point that he's making, but it was hilarious. Okay. Though it is commanded of us to pray, it needs to be understood that prayer is also assumed. It's assumed. Multiple times in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, when you pray. He assumes that if you're a follower of His, you're going to pray. Paul in his letters almost always starts out with how he's praying for the church that he's writing to. We never find Paul going, well, this is how I ought to be praying for you. So because prayer is commanded... We need to understand it as a duty. It is something that is required. It's, it is a spiritual discipline. We need to discipline ourselves to prayer. Having made this point, I want to venture away from it for a bit because I don't want us to feed our legalistic self. I don't want us to think that if we learn to pray that we're somehow better than others or that we've checked a box on our spiritual checklist. So in other words, if we, if we were to stop here in our discussion on prayer, we would miss out on something truly amazing. Which leads to our second reason why we pray. We pray because it's relational. Prayer is relational. It's required, but it's relational. It's not hard to consider prayer our duty when prayer is also a sheer delight. I can't imagine. Well, I guess I can imagine it, but I, it's, it's not even something that would ever happen. But 
imagine buying candy bars for all your children. Handing them out and then saying, I command you to eat that chocolate bar. Any parent ever had to make your kid eat candy? <laughs> no, absolutely not. This, this would never happen. It doesn't happen because children delight in sugar. Maybe me too. <laughs> Why would we delight in prayer? Because prayer is relational. It's not just, it's not just something that we have to do. It's something that we actually get to do. Romans chapter 8. Turn there with me. Romans 8. Paul has, has, has covered the ground all the way up to chapter 8 on what the gospel is, the justification, sanctification. And he's, he, uh, this is, as I heard one, um, and it was Paige Patterson was talking about this chapter, and he was like, this is kind of the, this is the mountain peak of all of the gospel. It's chapter 8. And so there's therefore no, now, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he's, he's basically talking about how if we have the Spirit of God, we belong to God. So notice with me verse 12. So then, brothers, we're not debtors. We are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Not employees. Not partners. Sons. Verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Did you catch that in there? By whom we cry, Daddy, Father. It's not, it's, it's not a bank transaction. You're not just going and making a deposit when you pray. You are talking to your dad. He's adopted us. We're in the family. This is, this is how he's chosen for us to communicate with him. Mm, man. We walk, we pull in to the Walmart parking lot and, and we get out and, you know, when the, when the kids are like this size, just have learning how to walk, you're like, alright, you have to take my hand. Right? Because you'd rather get hit by a car than the little kid. Alright? And so, so, uh, but now my kids, I don't, I don't even have to say that anymore. It's become a habit. For me, for them to get safe passage, they know they have to take daddy's hand. And, and, and now, instead of saying anything, all I gotta do is just, sometimes just wiggle my hand. Somebody's gonna grab it. And there are times that before I even get the wiggle out, somebody's already got it. There, there's no fighting anymore. It's just, this is, this, this, they know this is safety. This is what daddy does for us. He protects us. 
Prayer is the same way. We take his hand. He's he is father. Have you ever wondered why we pray in Jesus name? Is that just something that we do because that's what we're supposed to do and that's what we've always done and that's what we always have ever heard anybody else pray? Ever thought about that? We do that because it's an acknowledgement that our elder brother, Christ, has paved the way for our being right with the Father. We don't just pray in the name of Jesus for anything. We pray in accordance to His will. And that's the will we want if we are His. If we're not His, the last thing we want is His will. In fact, that's why we sin. Because we don't want His will. Prayers offered apart from salvation in Christ leaves the divide between us and God up. Christianity is the only religion who can call on God as Father. Any prayers offered without the cross paving the way are empty prayers. They don't mean anything. Prayer is the unique and unqualified privilege of believers in Christ because prayer is relational in nature rather than religious in nature. So, Third, and I realized in my notes that I already had it in there. I forgot to take it out. So um, at least most of the notes. Anyway, so it's required. That's the first thing. It's relational. That's second. And third, prayer is refining. It's refining. We've heard this before. Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Prayer by its very design, demands of the petitioner a desperate dependence. If I'm going to trust the Lord with my whole heart, then I cannot trust myself at all. In fact, it was Christ's prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane that sets the tone for this point. Father, not my will, but your will be done. He's sweating blood and he cares more that the will of the Father is done than his own will. Prayer at its very core is an exercise in learning to trust the sovereignty of God. Now, here's the problem. Some people see sovereignty and fervent prayer as being at odds with each other. On one hand, God is unchanging, is immovable. The Bible tells us that over and over. Yet on the other hand, God tells us to seek His face, to ask, seek, and knock, to persist in prayer, even when it's discouraging. Why? Is it because we will somehow, by the strength of our own personal faith or spirituality, bend the immovable and unshakable will of God? I mean, sometimes we approach prayer like, like, like we're a, we're lobbyists in Washington DC. We've just got to get the president's attention and we, we've, I mean, he's distracted by a thousand things, but we really need him to land on our side on this subject. Is that how we go to God? I hope not. The purpose of prayer is to conform us to conform our desires, to conform our motives with the will of God. A will that is sturdy. It's sanctifying. If God is not sovereign, then my prayers don't mean anything either. 
How can I put complete trust in a God who himself can only hope for a certain outcome, but doesn't know any more than, than I do how things will turn out? That's not the God of the Bible. It's just not. It's an idol. It's an idol that a lot of people bow down to on a regular basis, but it's not the God of the Bible. Because prayer is relational, then our Father's purpose may be different than what we're asking for. In fact, He always has in mind some kind of design for our refinement when we pray. So if you're asking God to lift some horrible, trying circumstance, and the answer is a resounding no, then hang on for the ride. Because God has something greater in mind than you could ever fathom. In fact, let me strengthen you with with one tip on prayer. If you want to start seeing God answer prayers, then start asking for His will to be done above everything else. Start asking for Him to conform you to His will, even if it means walking through horrid valleys of fire and destruction. Faith came to me, my, my faith came to me several years ago. Um, her, her knees were aflame with juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. Very discouraged. She asked me why. After so many times of asking God to lift the pain that he still hasn't lifted the pain. Here's my answer for what it's worth. Imagine if I, as your dad, had something you really wanted and you knew that I would give it to you because you asked. Yet I refuse to give it. Rather, I notice, as your dad, that because I'm withholding what you're asking for, You're developing a habit of meeting me in my office to have a daily conversation. I noticed that our bond as father and daughter is growing because of this habit. So my refusal wouldn't be a lack of love, but rather it would be fueled by love. If If I answer the request and you go about your merry way, then something more important could be lost. Guys, a good daddy wants quality relationships with his children. And God in this way is no different. God's not into spoiling his children. He's not into giving you what you want because you asked with the right prayer formula, formula, but in cultivating your trust in him. He's more interested in you loving the giver rather than the gift. Listen again to Tozer. Nobody ever got anything from God on the grounds that that he deserved it. Having fallen, man deserves only punishment and death. So if God answers prayer, it's because God is good. From his goodness, his loving kindness, his good-natured benevolence, God does it. That's the source of everything. I don't have this in your notes. If you've got a pen, you can write down Google. Donald Whitney. 
And his name is, is like the next paragraph down if you don't know how to spell it. Donald Whitney. Google Donald Whitney when waiting is trusting. It is by far, and I've, I've listened to several sermons on prayer, this is by far the greatest sermon on prayer I've ever heard. And if you don't believe me, as Charity, Nikki, were you in that? You weren't? Okay. You've heard it though, right? It is incredible. When waiting is trusting, it's okay for God not to answer your prayers. He may be teaching you to trust Him. So, prayer is required. It's relational. It's refining. So let's keep this in mind now as we turn to three resources on how to pray. Number one, pray the Bible. In fact, really, uh, one of the only books I will recommend in all of the thousands of books on prayer is a book by Donald Whitney called Pray the Bible. It's short. How long did it take you to read it? <laughs> 30 to 45 minutes. And that was like two years ago, right? A year and a half, something like that? Okay. So, is really easy to read. Um, the main thrust is this. best way to conform your prayers to what God desires is just pray through the Bible. And, and, and by that, we don't mean start in Genesis, go to Revelation. It's just pick a passage, read it. Pray about the things that come to mind as you read it. This is not complicated, is it? Can it really be that simple? Yes, I'm not sure what God's will is. Simple. Open up the Bible. See what He has to say. Take that to Him in prayer. Secondly, the disciples' prayer. If, if you want to go back to Luke uh, 11, it'll be in verses 2 through 4. Luke's version here of the Lord's Prayer. So, so remember, in verse 1, the disciple comes and says, Teach us to pray, and this is what he gives them. Verse 2, And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. Now, some people take the Lord's Prayer and then they just repeat it over and 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 over. That maybe defeats the purpose. Okay, he's teaching us something in this. So let me make four brief points on what I think Christ is trying to show us here. First, or A, if it's in your notes, when we pray, we need to keep the character and person of God before us. We need to be regularly reminded, as we've already noted earlier, earlier, that God's will doesn't need to change. We need to be conformed to His will. So God, you're holy. And your kingdom matters more than anything else. B, when we pray, we need to be reminded of God's care for us. So not just His character, but His care just think about the sheer quantity of needs that God meets in the life of every person who walks on the face of the earth today. His care to us should result in an abundant thanksgiving. 
Give us each day our daily bread. See, when we pray, we need to be reminded of God's compassion. So his character, his care, his compassion. Um, Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Prayer before the Almighty God should humble us and remind us of the massive load of sin that we have been personally forgiven of in the death of Christ. It is crucial that before we unload our complaints to God about how so-and-so sinned against us, to wait until we've been humbled by our own disgusting rebellion. And then D, when we pray, we need to be reminded of God's conviction. Lead us not into temptation. God doesn't want us to sin against Him. We need to be regularly reminded that if we're in Christ, God always makes a way for us to stand up under temptations. If we're in Christ, we don't have to sin anymore. God, don't don't allow us to go down a road where we're going to be tempted. I I was reading Spurgeon this week, and he was talking about how that we're to resist the devil and he'll flee from us. But when it comes to temptation, we flee sexual immorality. That's not a coward's way out. That's the way out for a man of God, for a woman of God. And we need to bathe that desire in prayer. God, don't allow us to go down these roads. We're going to be tempted to sin against you. Last on how to pray, just look for good examples. Look for good examples of people that pray. And of course, the best examples are found in the Bible. And, and by the way, that's that doesn't... Good examples of prayer don't mean that we, we follow a formula, okay? There's, there are some... You read through the Psalms and there are some prayers that are like, wow! This... I can't believe God inspired this. There are psalmists who are like, God, why? Why is this? And sometimes there's no resolve to those prayers. And it's okay to cry out to God when you don't understand. But we need to look, especially at the Scriptures, when it comes to good examples. In addition to praying like Christ, it would be beneficial to examine uh, the Apostle Paul's prayers. Another book I recommend on this subject is D.A. Carson's book on a call to spiritual reformation. Priorities from Paul and his prayers. We did this in home team way back in the day. I, I, it's been several years. It's a, it is a, it's, 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 it's not like Whitney. It's, it's a heavy read. And so, but it is, it's worth the time. Even if you don't read Carson, go through Paul's prayers and just ask yourself, what is he praying for? You'd be shocked. If you, this is an exercise. Just, just take Paul's prayer either to the Philippians or to the Colossians and, or the Corinthians and compare it to how we pray today in church. One last word from Tozer. And this one's convicting. Our prayers 
are only as powerful as our lives. Our prayers are only as powerful as our lives. In the long pull, we pray only as well as we live. Ouch. Our prayer life is only as good as our view of Christ. As if we repeatedly fail to cultivate the habit of prayer, we don't need tips, pointers, posters, coasters, coffee mugs. We need to search deeply into what we really believe about the resurrected Messiah. Because we could, we could turn, we can give, we can give tips, pointers, suggestions. But if the early church prayed because they were excited about the resurrected Christ, that's the only motivation we need to pray. Let's pray. Father, you are holy. You are holy. And your kingdom does matter more than anything else. And in fact, you tell us to seek first your kingdom and all the other stuff, all the other stuff, everything we worry about, that we fret over, that we, that we find ourselves being anxious about, all that other stuff, it'll be taken care of. We just have to prioritize your kingdom. So I pray, Father, that as a church, we would see with fresh eyes, with fresh faith, that there really is a resurrected Messiah. That for 2,000 years you've been sitting on the throne next to the Father. Interceding for us. Pleading for us. You're not dead and gone. We're not here, Lord, to serve a memory You are alive from the dead. Fuel our prayers. Lord, when, when we as, as a church, when, when there's a call to gather for prayer, Lord, may we not find something else to do. May we recognize the priority of this. The privilege of this. The joy of this. The delight of this. So quicken us, Lord, to thirst after these things. In Jesus' name, amen.